Good day, good night, and how you doing, everybody? This is Kevin Laramie here for a little bonus coverage of the CONCACAF, MLS, Toronto Canadian Soccer as a whole. I had the pleasure last night to appear on From the Backline podcast with Jorge Mendoza and Mark Daly out of Vancouver. And here's a conversation we had, about a 30-minute interview But before we listen to the interview, I just want to remind you folks, next week I'll be going down to Mexico. And if you want to have bonus coverage, exclusive content, please support the Five Rings and the Two Solitudes Sucker Podcast on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Two Solitudes Five Rings. And when you pledge support, even for a dollar a month, when you support the Two Solitudes, well, you'll get some extra behind-the-scene coverage of Estadio Azteca next week. Mexico City, the place where the Olympics were. You'll get a lot of videos, pictures, bonus podcasts, contacts, and interviews next week, live from Mexico City. All right, without further ado, here's myself on From the Backline Podcast with Jorge Mendoza and Mark Daly. Welcome back to From the Back Line. Uh, Mark, let's uh, leave behind MLS for a second and let's uh, look ahead on what's going to be uh, the CONCACAF Champions League next week. And in order to do that, we have brought in the Cavalry. Our next guest, uh, he is the, one of the co-hosts of the Two Solitude podcast and uh, the newly minted USL radio podcast. Uh, it, they uh, cover everything uh, involving Canadian soccer from MLS, NASL, USL and all the uh, national teams. Um, so we want to give a warm welcome back to the show to uh, Kevin Larame. Kevin, thanks for uh, uh, doing some pause on your uh, travel preparations to Mexico City to chat with us this evening. Oh, it's my pleasure to be back on from the back line. Uh, I had a great uh, positive feedback from my last visit. And you know what? Uh, just to talk about America with you, Jorge, it's worth it because I'll be at Azteca next week. You, you are um, one lucky Montreal supporter. So, Kevin, speaking of obviously uh, the big game, um, this, tell me, uh, is Montreal planning the celebratory parade already? How, how are the level no. of confidence uh, going into the final matches? The level of confidence, I, I wouldn't call them levels of confidence. I would call, I'll, in my case, I'm realistic. I, I know the mountain is really high to climb. Club America is arguably the most prestigious club in North American football as a whole. Probably the most uh, tr- winning trophy. They won so many of what I think 26 total trophies in the Liga MX and all the cups. It's a, one of the most prestigious club. And Estadio Azteca itself, the second biggest stadium in the world right now, one of the most mythical stadium where Pele won a World Cup, where Maradona scored the hand of God. And the players of the Montreal Impact will step on that same stadium. Kevin, um... We heard that we have heard in the past uh, few in the past few days that Montreal has sold around 87 gazillion tickets for the return leg on April 29. <laughs> so obviously you are on the ground, you're closer uh, to to the action. So do you have a most updated number and perhaps more accurate? Absolutely. As of maybe a couple of hours ago, Patrick Friolet from RDS reported there was about 58,000 tickets sold as we speak. I expect before the end of this week, it's going to be a sellout. And that sellout might be close to the 68,000 that were present for David Beckham a couple of years ago. But at least for this time, it's for the right reason. It's to see the Montreal Impact trying to win a trophy. If somebody would have told me six months ago that the Montreal Impact would be in the final of the CONCACAF Champions League, the biggest stage of North American soccer you can have, even though they had an atrocious season, this makes it makes up for it and then some. And I'm... 
I just can't believe it. It's still a blur to me that the Impact, uh, like I was going to say earlier, I don't expect the Impact to win that trophy for now. But but just the fact that they're going to compete against Club America on the same level has to bring the level of the club up. It's going to make the Impact a prestigious club from now on. Yeah, that's a that's a very good point. Now, talking about the the, the match itself. Now, in the past, I've heard that different ap- approaches towards playing in the altitude of Mexico City. A school of thought says that it's better to get there as close as you can to the game in order to minimize the uh, the, the effect. However, Montreal is traveling to Mexico City this Thursday, almost a week before the match. Do you think this will have a big positive effect on the team's performance? Well, if you look in history of the Montreal Impact a couple of weeks ago, well, it's actually a couple of months ago now, when they first traveled to Pachuca for their first away game of the CONCACAF Champions League in the quarterfinals, they got there two weeks early, 15, 17 days to be precise. They practiced, they acclimatized to uh, altitude. That was a factor, not as much as Mexico City, but it was a factor. And Montreal were able to acclimatize, and we all remember the result, a 2-2 match over there that eventually saw Montreal move on to the semis and then to the final. Now, with Major League Soccer and the opponent of the impact in Major League Soccer, we're able to work together and postpone a total of three games in the past three weeks. So until the end of the CONCACAF Champions League, the impact are not even playing other games than uh, the Champions League. So it gives a certain time to focus. And I believe the fact that they get there a week and something a week earlier, almost a week to get prepared in Mexico City, acclimatized to not just the altitude, but the smog and uh, the air quality is going to be different to what they're used to, especially now in Montreal. So it's going to be good for them. They have a great chemistry. There's a great group of guys that are good friends right now. And even though the results in Major League Soccer are not what they want, they're trying to keep that spirit that's very high with the results they had in Major League and uh, Gaga Cap, sorry. And the group of guys that gelled together in Pachuca and in Costa Rica, I'm going to continue that run, and because it's a longer trip, I believe that friend atmosphere is actually going to help them to even be more them against the rest in Mexico City. Kevin, what do you think is Montreal's best approach uh, to the away game that would give them a good opportunity to come back to the Big O and have a, a good chance of lifting the, the the trophy in the second leg? Well, I think they have to take the blueprint that they've done against Pachuca or Alawela, Alawela, let's say, to compete. You can't go blow for blow with Club America. You're going to come out of Azteca with a 6 nothing. Just ask Reggiano last week. <laughs> you need to go there and try to hold your line. I wouldn't say park the bus, but be intelligent with the ball. Don't lose the ball. Don't try to just play the counter because if you play the counter and you don't realize to on that one opportunity you don't score, you're done. You need to be more intelligent with possession. Try to limit their own possession. And when they do have possession, then try to look for the counter. But don't over-rely on that counter, even though it's what brought you to the dance. You need to remember, Club America is a level, if not two, above every other team in that competition. Kevin, uh, what is what is the health of the squad besides obviously the big injuries that we're reading off? Uh, how is Montreal shaping up uh, uh, for next Wednesday? There's a couple of uh, little knocks here and there, but... Uh, except Justin Mapp and Cameron Porter, they're gone for now. Mapp, maybe three months left, and Porter, the rest of the year. Uh, there's a new player in town now, Kenny Cooper. And I think the fact that Kenny Cooper has a playing style that's similar to Cameron Porter might replace him on the pitch the way the style of play will... It's more similar than what the impact is used to with Porter. And that's how they had success. That's how they qualified for the semis. And that's how they scored the goal that he needed. And with a player like Cooper, they will he's more of a blue collar, less flashy. He doesn't want to finish. He wants to create opportunity. 
And if he does that, we'll make space for Piatti. So even though there's a couple of key injuries, I think with the addition of Cooper, it directly uh, solved the problem of Porter's injury because Jack Mack, even though he's a great striker in his own right, he's a type of striker that cannot be successful in that type of environment because he needs good service and service is not going to come out of Stucca. Uh, do you know if Kenny Cooper will be available for the CCL final? He will be. Yes, he is. He has arrived with the team today and there's already talk of him starting that game next week. In Vancouver, there has been a lot of talk uh, of using the CCL as an opportunity to give some of the young players some international experience. Do you think that should be the case or should the Canadian teams take this tournament a little more seriously as Montreal is doing, to see how far they can actually make it against some of the bigger clubs in the CONCACAF region. Well, as serious as the impact I've taken that tournament in the knockout stage, in the group stage, I did play some more of their, I was going to say reserve, but it's not a a term that's popular anymore, but more of their substitute and U23 players in some instance. When you're in the group stage, or if... You're not in the knockout stage deep yet. If the game is not that important, it's fine with me if you play your reserve or your younger player, even if it's a, a team from Canada. The tournament is important and it's not. It's it's like an FA Cup or a US Open Cup where if you get to a position where you can win it, like in the semis or late in the quarters, then fine, put your most popular and most talented players to get the result. But it shouldn't be a priority. You shouldn't jeopardize your league, especially early on in that tournament, to get results in the CONCACAF Champions League. You need to focus in Major League Soccer in all time. The only way you can do what Montreal is doing is when you really have no nothing going on at all in the league. And then you get the opportunity to be in the knockout stage. Then why not? But you should never jeopardize the league. And that, that's something that's going to be interesting to see how Vancouver handles this year. It's the one time where they're going to have to play on two different fronts. And it actually matters. As much as we like the Diamond Canadian Championship as Canadian supporter, well, it's not the same. The CONCACAF is a notch above and it's even more fun. But it's even more complicated to make the right decisions because, yes, it's important. But at the end of the day, it's the Major League Soccer that pays the bell. True. That that's that. I'm I'm guessing the um the controversy will continue and, and the debate as to uh, who should be playing at uh, those games uh, uh, will will continue in Vancouver at least until we we know who what the draw is and uh, what kind of approach uh, Robinson will will do for for that tournament. So uh, mm-hmm. so Kevin, obviously um, the White Cups will be playing uh, this tournament that's starting in August. Uh, for the past year, you have witnessed uh, Montreal's run in the tournament and having that first hand experience. What can our what can our listeners and our supporters supporters in Vancouver expect to see and experience watching the White Cups participating in in this tournament? Oh, uh, as Vancouver fans, you will discover one great word in the word and dictionary of soccer, and that's the word Concacaf. You will understand <laughs> what it is to travel to questionable venues, questionable pits, and questionable referees playing in games where. Uh, Murphy's Law is in full effect. <laughs> if you need one goal to be eliminated, trust me, that goal is going to come. A penalty is going to be called. And you need to take advantage of all. You need to play that game. And one thing that's going to be another thing interesting for Vancouver, they have a lot of players that are accustomed to those environments, playing in either South America or Central America. So uh, they're not going to be maybe as unfazed as the Montreal players were in their first outing uh, a couple of years ago. 
Uh, Kevin, uh, before the semifinal, uh, before Alajuelense, I was reading some of the comments, some of the different articles going around saying that it was the most important game in Canadian soccer history. So where, in your opinion, do these two matches, the semifinal and the final, rank in importance in uh, in Canada's football history? I separate that history into, Mark, I separate it in Canadian club history and Canadian national team program history. The biggest soccer, Canadian soccer moment in history is 1986, where we were part of the World Cup in Mexico, hands down, because that's the highest level of soccer in the entire planet. But in the club history of a Canadian club, I believe that the impact in the CACAF Champions League final must be the biggest achievement for a Canadian club because it's the continent Champions League. It, even though it might not be the most popular and most death of tournament, well, it is what it is, and it's the Champions League of our tournament of our continent. And there's no other tournament that is higher in the club contingent in our continent. So, for that reason, I believe it's the highest achievement for a Canadian club in the history of soccer in Canada. But that's a club on the national level. It's still. Canada in 1986 and those cannot even be compared because it's two almost two different sports I think I agree I think that at a club level uh, this has to be the, the biggest the biggest game that uh, we have seen and I can I cannot wait to see it it's starting next next Wednesday on the 22nd as Montreal visits um, the sacred pitch of Azteca <laughs> Stadium in Mexico City. So, uh, Kevin, let's, let's just move away a little bit from the CCL for a second. Let's do a quick, um, uh, overview of, uh, MLS. Let's start with TFC. So TFC has played four games in 2015. They have a record of one win and three losses. Uh, they're currently sitting in ninth in this Eastern Conference. Uh, does this result surprise you at all? Uh, were you expecting something like this, uh, given TFC's schedule, uh, to begin the, to begin the year? No, they have a very tough schedule because of the BMO field renovation. They're on the road for the majority of first two months and a half. I am a bit surprised by the amount of result in Altador, Jovinko, and Bradley trio all together. Granted, there was a lot of international breaks. Bradley was gone for a couple of games. The different type of timing and chemistry when you're in and out of a club. But Jovinko, for me, didn't have the same amount of... Uh, not... Uh, what's the word? Didn't get the same amount of result influence. He didn't influence the result as much as I thought Jovinko, a player of that stature, would do. Altador has shown some great stuff, but when that service doesn't come, he's not going to be able to bury that goal that takes the team to, instead of drawing 1-1 or losing the game, to 8-3 points, especially on the road. But again, it's with all the games on the road and a couple of games in hand because I've had two bye weeks, well, at the end of the season, when things will gel together like it does for May, the majority of the MLS teams, it's not how you start, but it's how you finish the league in MLS. Well, I think Toronto might have a shot to qualify if they have a great end of the season run, and uh, I think it's going to look that way. So, so how encouraged do you think uh, TFC supporters should be uh, about this team? Oh, they're not, and they shouldn't be encouraged. They, it, what's the word? When you chase and hold Abbott, it's going to come running. Well, that's what happens. You, you expect the team to win, and it's not going to win. And you can't expect Toronto to win. You just hope and brace for the better and hope that that gap is not too big. Well, you basically have to do the same thing as a Montreal supporter should do right now. Hope for the best, but expect it's going to come. Uh, talking about uh, Montreal supporters, um, I mean, obviously everybody's been uh, preoccupied with the, uh, the the CCL in recent weeks, but and you know, obviously that is a huge accomplishment, uh, no matter what the, uh, the the final result is. But after April 29th, there'll be six months of the the, the MLS season remaining for the Impact. Uh, what do you think 
they can do and what are your expect uh, expectations for the year? I was a little bit more optimistic earlier on in the season. I predicted Montreal to be fifth or fourth to, to battle for a playoff spot, but to be almost guaranteed to be locked in before the end of the season. As things are looking right now, with only two draws and two losses right now in the league being bottom of the table, there's nothing really encouraging with Montreal, but with the games in hand because of the CCL, again, three games will be postponed and played in September and October. And that will give Montreal a chance to get on the run late in the season, and who knows, to make a push to climb up the table to fight for a playoff spot. But that's the most optimistic I am. Seventh, battling for a playoff, maybe squeezing sixth, but it's going to be hard, and they need to not get gapped. They need a win ASAP, otherwise that gap's going to turn into a wall, and it's going to be insurmountable. It seems like it's going to be, uh, hopefully they don't get into uh, too big of a hole um, early on, and um, well, we'll see We'll see how... how uh what kind of conversations we're going to have uh, in late September and early October. So uh, finally, uh, Kevin, before we let you go, Whitecaps FC will host TFC2 in their home opener this Sunday at Thunderbird Stadium at UBC. Uh, how is TFC's USL uh, season shaping up, and, and is there any specific players that we should be paying attention uh, uh, to uh, this, this Sunday? Absolutely. Mo Babuli is a player you have to watch for. Mo Babuli is the star of Toronto FC too. Last year he was playing for Toronto FC Academy in League One in Ontario with basically a U23 side for Toronto FC. It was the top team of their academy. Same team has graduated after winning League One last year to the USL this year. And they are doing playing great. I saw Mo Babuli play in person against FC Montreal in the first game three weeks ago at the big go and Mobabuli scored on a free kick and he had influence and an assist on the other kick. He has a confidence on the ball but a presence on a USL level that it's hard to see. Usually you don't see that type of confidence and skills on the ball at the USL level. You see more of a blue collar effort than somebody that works hard on the ball. But with those new USL team with players that's been developed in academies, they bring a higher level of skills on the level of the USL. And even though sometimes there's a size difference between Players like the Baby White Caps, which are more composed with either NCAA or resident player, it's different with Toronto FC2, which are mostly composed of academy product with a couple of draft pick or compared to Montreal, which is a 100% academy product and the average of 20 years old. But even if Toronto is going to be a little smaller on the field, their skill level might be a little higher up because of the development in an academy system. So on the field, watch for Mobile Bowley. That's one thing you need to remember. What about um, like other guys um, on TFC too? Um, we we've seen with the WFC too over the first three matches that uh, that there have been a number of uh, loans from the MLS team to the the USL team. Are there any guys that are kind of like on the fringe of the the MSL or sorry the MLS uh, team that uh, could be loaned? Have have they done anything like that? Well, you have a choice with five players. Whenever you want to just put them, whatever you've been trying to loan, because it's your same team. It's, it, it's the same pyramid as your top team. So you're able to transition easily players to get them playing minutes or recover from an injury and stuff like this. This is one of the reasons why the teams in USL exist. Uh, that being said, a team like Montreal and Toronto want to create their own competitive level, their own, not tactics because they follow the tactics of the club. But what I mean is they want to create their own team, their own chemistry level, their own camaraderie in their own dressing room. And that team, they want to have a season together to see what like the, t- the level of growth a player will have because that's important in the development of a player to see how much growth you have in a season. And if you begin him in the MLS, 
how growth he will have in that same season. So those are really interesting to see those type of levels. But it's like players that are Kimura for Montreal played the first game in the USL because he was suspended in MLS. And on the field, he was a notch above everybody else. He even made a run to the actual box on the inner side and had a shot on goal. Missed the post by about like a foot, but he had a scoring chance for Kamara, which is a right back. So there's a big difference of level when an MLS player goes down to the USL. But in my opinion, it's not worth making those players play too much. You shouldn't take the playing time of a youngster, which finally has a place to play for just somebody in the top team, which doesn't get playing minutes. I think development is more important at that level. Yeah. Do you, do you think that there are any expectations for these teams to succeed in USL or they just like a, that next step in the development uh, pyramid for for the club after the players that graduate from residency that maybe aren't, um, you know, a high enough level to to play for the MLS team? I, I, you know, I'm personally I'm wondering how these like the identities of these USL teams might evolve over the years. Like, what do you think about that? It's a question of markets, basically. The one I know best is Montreal. And what the FC Montreal is, is basically the same team, almost player for player, that were dominant in the last couple of years in the PDL, USS PDL, and the Development Academy system. Same players that have been playing together for the last six years are now graduating to the professional level together, an average of 20 years old. And together, they're going to grow as professional and develop that way. You have that philosophy. And if you have that, results are not necessarily your be-all, end-all, your standard base. You want players to achieve certain things, but results are not necessarily your goal. So when that happens, uh, victory is not that important. So Montreal doesn't even charge for tickets for USL game. It's open to the public. It's covered, but not as much. So you're allowed to make mistakes without having the public pressure on your own team. Now, if you go on the total opposite spectrum of, of that same philosophy you have, Seattle Sounders, which basically have players that played for Seattle consistently last year that plays for Seattle too right now. The Rimmick in the back I'm thinking of. Well, those players are definitely a level above everybody else in USL and are having a great beginning of the season like Seattle is having. And a team like this, they are charging for tickets. They are wanting to have a great atmosphere and the pressure of result is there. So it really depends on the market. And the majority of the teams are situated somewhere in the middle of the extreme of a Montreal and a Seattle. Vancouver, I'm not going to lie, it's closer to a Seattle, but I don't think it's going to expect a level of result that a crowd in Seattle is going to expect. Yeah, that's a good point. Okay, finally, just before we let you go here, uh, you and Duane have expanded your coverage on the Two Solitudes podcast uh, from MLS to NASL to USL. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit more about what you guys are up to programming-wise and where everybody can find you? Absolutely. Now we have a brand new website that actually launched this morning, uslradio.com. Your place to get all your info for any USL team. It's a show that's focused on the entire league with a focus team every week. We go in details on the scores and a topic that caught our attention in the week. And if you'd like to be a writer or contributor for uslradio.com, well, just give us an email at uslsoccerradio at gmail.com. That's awesome. Thank you very much. Once again, we've been talking to Kevin Laramie, one half of the Two Solitudes podcast, and you can find him on Twitter at Kev Laramie, and that is M-double-E. Uh, Kevin, thank you very much for your, your time this evening and safe travels to, to Mexico, and uh, we'll have to connect uh, sometime after the final and find out uh, how your travels were. 
My pleasure. And uh, I promise you, at least once, I'll figure out a way to get Dwayne on the show with me, too. <laughs> well, there seems to be a little bit of confusion <laughs> between 8 Eastern and Pacific and <laughs> on our behalf as well. So we appreciate you uh, staying up uh, late uh, back there in Montreal. So thank you very much. Talk to you soon, guys. Thanks, Kevin. Take care.